a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. So glad you could be part of our growing uh, audience of wrong thinkers. By the way, our audience is uh, spreading out across the world. Turns out uh, wrong think is kind of a necessity no matter where you live these days. And our show is brought to you by great sponsors like MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah, HSLAmmo.com. Pleased to welcome the Sewing and Quilting Center in St. George, Utah to our, our list of sponsors, as well as GovernYourIncome.com and SolarPatriots.com. Now, I've got a nice link on my uh, webpage where you can actually go and visit these sponsors and learn a little bit more about them. In the show notes, there's a link that will take you to each one of them. We'll be telling you more about them throughout the course of the show, but thank you again for being part of our audience. I get the sense that a lot of people find themselves standing at a crossroads, and I don't mean standing there wringing their hands going, things are hard and life is difficult and scary, and all of those things may be true. You know, it's, it's been pretty tough here the last 20 months or so. What was it I saw today? Uh, I think it was uh, the musician Zuby had tweeted something about, you know, the, the hardest part about 15 days to flatten the curve is the first 600 days. I think, yeah, we're we're getting a pretty good education on that right now. But as difficult as the last 20 months have been, I want to encourage you, and, and I especially want to give encouragement to those who feel a calling of sorts to stand up and be counted. Now, these days, that can come with a pretty significant price because... I mean, let's let's face it, there are so many mandates upon mandates and punishments and ostracization that's being placed on people for, for non-compliance with what everybody knows is the right thing to do, meaning everybody in power wants you to do. You could pay a pretty high price, and still people feel the need to do it. Those are the folks I'm speaking to. I don't know a nice way to say this. In fact, you know, the, the program director <clears throat> at the radio station, cover your ears, because um, the message I have is really not for the masses. It's for people who are, are thinking beyond groupthink and, and trying to come to their own conclusions. What can I do? What should I do? So that's who I'm speaking to. I'm talking to the lions. More so than the sheep. And I'm sorry if that sounds dismissive. Well, everybody else who agrees who disagrees is uh, just a bunch of sheep. I don't, uh, I don't devalue those who, who aren't awake. Because, frankly, we've all been there ourselves, right? I mean, we can relate that not everybody has, uh, has the same degree of understanding of what's going on or the same awareness. Now, it just so happens... Uh, I've been speaking about, uh, you know, the encroachment of tyranny and the need to defend liberty... For quite a while, over a quarter century at this point, my understanding has evolved over the course of that time. So I still I still don't consider myself to be the fount of knowledge. And, you know, this is this is where you can get all the answers to all of life's problems. But I I say this just to spell out. I have invested significant amount of my time and energy and understanding to learning the principles and practices of liberty understanding the things that diminish 
or otherwise undermine those principles and then doing my part to be a voice that speaks up to to make popular those things that are sound as well as to point out those things that are unsound that we would be better off not embracing. Now, what you do with this information, that's up to you. I'm not going to insist that you have to agree with me or you're a bad person. But I know there are people who are trying to slog their way out of the swamp of misinformation. I'm still doing it myself. And I may be a few steps further ahead than some people, but thank heavens there are people who are steps ahead of me, many steps ahead, who thoughtfully left markers along the way. So that's what I'm trying to do. Help point out those markers for the people who are behind me. You you hopefully should point them out to the people who are behind you in that journey. But above all, be patient with the people who are still trying to find their way towards the truth. If you haven't read Plato's Allegory of the Cave, it would be worth your time to Google it, sit down, read it, and then uh, just contemplate. Once you have freed yourself from the, the mind chains that are placed on you over the course of a lifetime, sometimes through your education, sometimes just through societal attitudes or cultural trends or, or uh, fads that, that have caught on, you make, it, make your way out of the cave into the sunlight, you start to realize, I have a duty. I have to help point the way for other people. Not, not necessarily drag them kicking and screaming. That's, that's not a great way to accomplish things by force. But to persuade people there's a better way. There's a broader way to view what's going on. So with that in mind, with that, with that little pretext, let's, let's dive into uh, hopefully some positive news for you today. I think that this is one of the best things I've read in a while. Some very positive aspects and opportunities about what we have been through in the last 20 months or so. Jeffrey Tucker is an exceptionally gifted writer for the Brownstone Institute. And his article, The War We've Lived and the Birth of the New, is something that I strongly recommend you take a look at and maybe even share with the people around you who you know are looking for truth, looking for light. This is how I actually go about vetting a lot of the, the information that, uh, that I'm uh, going through on a daily basis. I mean, I read, I don't know how many articles on any given day looking for good information to share with you. And I'm not looking for people who pass the litmus test. Well, are they conservative enough that I can, you know, give them the old Brian stamp of approval here? No. The thing I look for more than anything is I look for light in whatever the message is that, that is being shared. And I, I don't know how to describe it. I know that sounds very metaphysical. Yes, I, I break out the crystals and, you know, I, I look to see which ones vibrate more furiously and, you know, indicate that there's greater light here. I'm not sure if I can even describe the process, but I recognize, and I think you probably do too, when, when there is light to a person's message as opposed to darkness or just anger, that's the kind of thing I'm looking for. I'm looking for that light. And there's a lot of it in, Jeff, in Jeffrey Tucker's uh, article here. He talks about being in a department store. He says, I was in Marshall's yesterday where dystopian vertical boards keep people in checkout lines separated like cattle at a feeding trough. Customers approach the checkout to encounter a masked person behind plexiglass, pay with touchless tech, and then scamper away with hope that we avoided a pathogenic enemy we cannot see. We can't see it, 
he says, but we sure did institutionalize ways to avoid it, all codified by the science and imposed by force and fear. Like the social distancing stickers on the floor, all of this apparatus are part of the surviving relics of a world gone mad. No trying on clothing, no sampling perfume. A full-time employee stood at the entrance to enforce mask wearing. Keep that mask over your nose. It was all part of virus control, which became a mystical liturgy that governed life for 20-some months after darkness fell in the spring of 2020. Now, Tucker says these signs and symbols of mass panic are gradually going away, leaving in their wake sadness, regret, shattered dreams, psychological trauma, bad health, ruined businesses, broken friendships and families, and a loss of trust and confidence in myriad institutions that once took our respect for them for granted. I mean, that's pretty accurate, wouldn't you say? Listen to this next part, though. He says, the people who did this to the world are still clinging to the hope that they can make a dignified walk back from the disasters they created. In fact, Jeff Tucker says that seems to be the major point of the vaccine mandate domestically and for foreigners traveling in. It's the best hope, they believe, for providing them cover. They had to get everyone jabbed before we got our freedom back. We resisted their dictates out of ignorance, they said, so they had to impose them with ever more fines and threats. Thus, are we transitioning from a kabuki, the COVID kabuki dance to a system of overt segregation of the clean versus the unclean? A situation we've encountered before during the most morally egregious episodes in modern history. And while the clean are granted freedom, the unclean cannot travel, cannot participate in public life, and sometimes cannot shop or get medical care. Now, never mind that the data are not playing along. While the private benefit for the vulnerable from the vaccine exists, the public health benefit appears more dubious by the day especially given the manner in which public health authorities have obstinately denied what at least 106 studies have already affirmed. By the way, he has a link to that 106 studies that he's talking about. i got to pump the brakes here because we're up against our own break. We'll be back in just a moment. We'll continue this uh, essay from Jeffrey A. Tucker from the Brownstone Institute. And I promise, I mean, he's, he's laying out the case here. There is some good news. There are some very positive developments. Yes, they're the product of pain, but hey, that's how exercise works too, right? No pain, no gain. Well, in this case, the, the pain that we've experienced has forced us to think in some different ways. You'd be surprised at the innovations people are reaching. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Once again, I'm sharing an article here from Jeffrey Tucker from the Brownstone Institute. The War We've Lived and the Birth of the New. This is one of the more positive essays that I've read in a while, and that's why I was eager to share this with you. I think we need some good news, and we need to understand that, you know, there's always going to be opposition. We're always going to face, you know, things that will push back against that which is good. I don't know why I had it in my head at one time that, you know, as you get older, life is supposed to get easier and more comfortable and happier and just better all the time, just like this never-ending upward arc to just pure ecstasy at some point. 
Well, it turns out that's not how life is at all. In fact, it gets more complicated. It gets uh, more difficult. And of all things, your body starts to, to rebel against you and slow down and break down in ways you probably hadn't anticipated. Nevertheless, there is so much good about us that it's sometimes easy to forget, to look around and acknowledge it, appreciate it, and, and express gratitude for it. But my point is you wouldn't appreciate it as much if it weren't for the opposition. The joy of a reunion with a loved one is, uh, is very, very intense, as is the sorrow at the loss of a loved one. There's a reason for that. There's, there's a universal reason why those opposites exist, and how they help us to grow in our understanding. Sorry, metaphysics off. Okay, back to Jeff Tucker's article. He says, what we've been through, what we've all been through, is impossible to describe in a sentence because there are so many dimensions to it all. And he's talking about the last 20 months. It's, he says, it's affected and traumatized everything and everyone. In fact, he says, I once tried to imagine what the blowback would look like. Now, this was late April 2020, writing with no clue that the frenzy would continue for another year and a half. He says, I predicted an impending revolt against masks, against mainstream media, against politicians, against Zoom-only life, against distancing, against academia, against experts in general, and against public health authorities in particular. Now, Tucker says, I was correct, but far too early in my prediction, what began as a dreadful error in political and bureaucratic judgment became an entrenched policy and then a generalized practice of disregarding basic human rights in every area of life. The schools remained shut for the year while the enforcement of absurdity became a national way of life. The point of exhaustion with the entirety of the antivirus theater happened in waves across the country and has only reached the whole country after 20 months. Now, the result was not only carnage, but also learning and responding. And the passage of of time has highlighted that we're living amidst not only the death of institutions and expertise, but also witnessing the glorious birth of new institutions and voices. And Jeffrey Tucker says this has been exciting to watch. COVID restriction and cancel culture coincided taking out some of the most intelligent and prescient individuals in the public space. They had their social media accounts deleted, their jobs threatened, and sometimes taken away, their access to their audiences throttled. This is because legacy social media platforms signed up to become mouthpieces for the regime. And the result was an astonishing dreariness, not actual reporting at all. Anything that reinforced the lockdown mandate line was allowed in, and anything contradicting, was blocked. And the scientific journals weren't much better. But thanks to the will to survive, the canceled found other outlets that are now thriving. The stodgy and stultifying information blockades provided an opportunity for other institutions to be born and blossom in record time. There are new video platforms and social media channels that are doing a booming business. For instance, he says, I found myself relying on Substack, and other new venues for actual information at a time when the mainstream media has been marching in political lockstep with the lockdown regime. Substack, for example, was founded with a $2 million investment in 2017. Now it is on its Series B funding round with $84 million along with 213 employees. Now he says the business model of Substack sounds a bit like many others. It enabled publishing. 
Crucially, it allows its users to accept subscriptions, which it then mails to users, <clears throat> excuse me, post by post. It permits its authors to make some content free and some paid and allows them to set the price. In other words, the Substack platform enables authors to achieve pretty much what the New York Times does, but without all the third-party plugins and setup required to set up a paid blogging platform. But here's the real business advantage. Substack refused to censor responsible material. In fact, it made itself a home to those who were being censored by others. Users and authors both began to trust the platform after its owners were hounded by the mainstream press and refused to budge. They would be a platform for free speech, period. Now, this not only saved Alex Berenson from death by Twitter, but it's inspired countless new intellectuals and writers who've been victimized by COVID cancel culture. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have reached new highs and record adoption in these times, too, as the value of national currencies depreciates due to reckless monetary policies and lockdown-related breakages. Having never shut down or seen their operations throttled, they've taken on the role of a safe haven in dangerous times. Now, the Brownstone Institute, which Jeffrey Tucker's a part of, is a case of live or a case of new birth. He says the website went live only on August 1st of this year, but will soon have racked up 3 million page views along with a global network of contacts. The growth has been phenomenal to behold. And why? Well, he says, you know, think about that. This, they've only been around for a couple of months here, but we have yet to produce fancy videos or hire a marketing team and all the rest. We have all that is necessary for success in the post-lockdown world. Outstanding content that provides light rather than propaganda. In addition, he says there are already new universities being founded alongside new research institutes, activist organizations, television shows, and podcasts. We are looking at a probable political realignment. And inevitably, he says, philanthropy will need to catch up to the new. Support will likely leave institutions that failed us so miserably during the lockdowns and refused to step up to defend human rights. To mention one obvious example among so many, the well-funded ACLU has enjoyed a long history of taking unpopular positions in defense of human liberties until they decided to throw it all away in defense of a pandemic policy that had zero regard for rights and liberties. He's right. They strayed from their mission. People who supported the ACLU for years are going, whoa, what happened? They got woke. They became part of the woke and surrendered whatever moral high ground they once held. Tucker says there are thousands of other institutions and individuals that completely flopped when their voices were most needed. He says every crisis in the history of modernity has produced a cultural and social realignment. Old institutions on the wrong side sink into the mire of their own disrepute, while new ones rise up to take their place, standing courageously on principle and inspiring students, customers, benefactors, and the general public. This was true after the Civil War in American history, but also true all over the world following the 20th century's two world wars along with the Vietnam War. What failed is washed away, and what stood steadfast gains new prominence. Now, I'm going to pause here because we're coming up on the break, but 
as you look around you, can you see evidence of what Jeffrey Tucker is talking about here? Yes, we've seen some some really, uh, really ugly things take place and continue to be enforced and clung to desperately by those who pushed them. And that's bad. I think we can all agree on that. We've also seen a remarkable coalition of people who are not just, you know, freedom curious, but uh, they're damn serious about their freedom and they're going to stand up and uh, come together putting aside other differences to make a principled stand I think of people like Eric Mutzos and the uh, Utah Revival Movement that started as a pretty simple thing, hey let's have a protest you know at the city county building in Salt Lake City it's a movement it's a legit movement and it started because of the opposition not just in spite of it This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Going to finish up with Jeffrey Tucker's amazing essay, which I have linked in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Hey, before I do, though, I want to welcome a, uh, an old friend and a new sponsor to the program. This would be Sewing and Quilting Center in St. George, Utah. You can go to sewingandquiltingcenter.com. Actually, let me, uh, sewingquiltingcenter.com. I don't want to give you the wrong web address. There is a link in the show notes that will take you right there. This is an existing business that has been around for a long time. It's under new ownership. My friend Eric Alsop and his wife, Teresa, purchased this from Ken Harker. Uh, Ken started the business back in 1984, and uh, it's it's changed owners twice in that time. But this is a very long-standing business, and they do uh, brother sewing and embroidery machines, baby lock sergers, embroidery and sewing machines, oh, long-arm quilting machines. And for those of you who aren't into quilting or who don't do sewing, this may seem like, okay, well, it's a, it's a hobby kind of thing. You have no idea. You have no clue how many people take very seriously the art of quilting. My mom is one of them. And just, I, I look at the, the legacy that she is going to leave behind because of the work that she has done, the quilting that she has done for years and years. It's really remarkable. And it's with, with prices going up and people having to, to be more self-reliant, it's a great time to learn how to use a sewing machine, how to fix your own clothes, how to create your own clothing. Well, Sewing and Quilting Center in St. George, Utah can do that for you. Again, there's a link, sewingquiltingcenter.com. It's in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. If you get the chance, if you're passing by, stop in and tell them, hey, Thanks for being a sponsor of the Brian Hyde Show and and uh, let them know that their message reached your ears. So back to uh, back to Jeffrey Tucker's article, "The War We Have Lived in the Birth of the New." Yes, we've all felt the pain. We've all felt the disappointment and discouragement of what has been forced upon us here in the last twenty months or so. And there's parts of it that are still just really, really ugly. I'm personally, I'm struggling so hard with the idea that we need to be vaccinating these kids ages 5 to 11. And again, it's, it's not even so much that, that uh, I think vaccines are evil so much as this push to mandate, mandate. Everybody's got to do this. There can be no exceptions. There can be no conscience. You just have to obey. 
I don't know why, but that sets off alarms in the deepest part of my soul when I hear that these things have to be compulsory. You cannot be trusted to choose for yourself. I guess it's because deep in my soul I understand that the question that has dogged us throughout the existence of mankind, the entire history of mankind, if you will, could be summed up in the question, will man be free? And personally, I believe that is a battle that started long before we ever entered this world. I think it's part of an eternal battle between light and darkness. So let's look at the bright side of what Jeffrey Tucker has seen over the last 20 months. He talks about how what we have lived through has warlike features and will have culture-shifting effects. Many people were tested. Many people failed. The failures made a bad bet that playing it safe and echoing regime priorities was the prudent path. But now they sit on a digital archive of cowardice, censorship, bad science, and disregard for humane values. Tucker says more inspiring to watch has been the emergence of a new movement that transverses political and ideological lines and is defined by its implacable commitment to enlightenment values, human freedom, and the determination to celebrate what's true against all odds, what used to be called normal as recently as 2019. He says this birth and growth of the new is a tribute to the reality that human beings will not be forced to live in cages and think only what our masters tell us to think. We are wired to be free, creative, and truth-telling and cannot abide by systems that attempt to stamp out all of those instincts and instead treat us all like lab rats or code in their models. No, he says, never. The crazy rules and practices that governments and corporations adopted and imposed over the last 20 months will in time look ridiculous and embarrassing to nearly everyone. That we went along with such preposterous practices is a sad commentary on the human condition and its primitive ways. Apparently, we as a society are only a step away from the abyss into which a well-timed campaign of fear can push us. But he says, I'm not sure that any of us knew that until we lived it. We will emerge on the other side of this wiser, stronger, more determined, and motivated by the new realization that the civilization we take for granted is not a given, but might instead be held by a thread that must be reinforced daily by knowledge, wisdom, and moral courage. We can never again allow a ruling class to exercise such brutality against the people. It has not ended well for the lockdowners and mandators. They are perhaps now beginning to realize they are not the authors of history. We are. Everyone is. Jeffrey Tucker says no one is born, appointed, or much less destined to dictate to everyone else. That powerful conviction forged modernity and what it means to be civilized. There will be no turning back the clock, not at this late date in the course of human progress. So what does that require of you and me? Well, believe it or not, it just requires the willingness to to be true. To know your conscience, to be in tune with your conscience to the point that you will stand even when others won't. You'll stand alone if necessary. I've talked about this before, but I, I just, I just want to, again, gently push this idea for your consideration. 
the choice comes to every one of us. Whether in adulthood, whether in childhood, every one of us faces a time where we must choose. We have to decide, will I go along to avoid criticism? Will I go along to get gain? Will I go along with something that in my heart I know is wrong just because everybody else is doing it and it really seems safer to just kind of move along with the herd? Now, the sad truth is a lot of people will answer that question affirmatively. Well, you do what you have to do, and sometimes that means you got to hold your nose. And I know that sounds like I'm talking about elections, but I'm talking about something beyond just elections here. When you have to violate your principles, the foundational principles of what makes you a good person, what makes you a dependable person, a seeker of truth, you've lost something very precious. And, and that's not to say that it's an irredeemable thing that you can't ever, you know, be made whole again. You can. But as anybody who's been through a 12-step program will tell you, the first step is admitting that there's a problem. The first step is admitting, okay, I'm off course here. Then comes the decision, what can I do about it? But every single one of us at some point in our lives, maybe at multiple points in our lives, is going to face this decision, that moment of truth where we have to decide, do I go along or do I stand up and say, I can't do this. This this isn't right. My conscience forbids me from participating in this. So this is where the value of knowing who you are and what you stand for is absolutely paramount. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's just a light and easy thing. You know, I just, well, I sat down this morning, I decided who I am, and I decided what I stand for, and <clears throat> everything else just, you know, fell into place. It's actually built over the course of uh, years and weeks and months of consistent effort to think about what matters to you. Think about what gives value to your life. This is, this is the reason why when I look for information to better feed my understanding of the world around me, I don't look for political purity and I don't even look for poli- you know, politically simpatico points of view. I'm looking for light. And the crazy thing is, I find it in places I really wouldn't have expected. You've heard me talk about Caitlin Johnstone. She's a writer from down in Australia. Uh, pretty left wing from, from a lot of her writings that I've seen. She and I have very different worldviews. But she is a seeker and a speaker of truth like very few people that I've seen. And as a result, I have been able to learn from her, even if there are some areas where we probably won't ever line up. It doesn't matter. The things on which uh, I'm, I'm learning and the things on which I agree are usually the things that, that really do tend to matter in the long run. So, I don't expect you to agree with me. Sometimes it's, in fact, good that you don't. I appreciate those people who push back and those people who hold my feet to the fire and make sure that I'm not misleading people. I don't want to mislead anybody. But I do want to give you enough content that causes you to stop, pause for a moment, and think about, where do I stand on this issue? What would I do in this situation? And if you're one of those people who says, I've got to be true to my conscience, I'm here to encourage you to be true. It's going to take courage to do so, but no, you're doing the right thing.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, thanks for joining us. Check out the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Hey, if you would like, it doesn't cost you a thing to subscribe, and I will send you in your email box, email inbox, that is, I will send you my show notes each day that I do a program. Yeah, they're not, uh, you know, this isn't exactly Pulitzer-winning stuff, but I uh, sit down every day, and uh, actually I spend the better part of my day just looking for good, thought-provoking, light-filled articles that uh, and and takes on on the passing scene that will either inform or inspire or sometimes cause you to chuckle and uh, I put them all together in my show notes maybe a few annotations a couple of thoughts of my own and I publish them and I can send it right to your email inbox just go to the com and subscribe by the way um just want to point this out lifesavingfood.com Still an excellent resource, even with some of the slowdowns in the supply chain, even with some of the rising prices on food, which, by the way, these are, these are good indicators that it's a really good idea to be thinking in terms of what do I have set aside for a rainy day, even in spite of those difficulties. Kendall is offering my listeners a 25% discount when they use the coupon code HIDE at checkout. Just H-Y-D-E. That's a pretty significant savings. It's very, very generous, and I uh, recommend it to you so you can uh, get yourself squared away and have the peace of mind of knowing you have food storage and emergency preparedness for whatever lies ahead, be it rough times or nothing but good times. So to further drive home the idea that all is not lost, I want you to check out uh, Chloe Anagnos's latest column on how the lockdowns may have been a disaster but they also may have rekindled Americans' entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, you think about it. Some of the greatest innovations that have come along were born out of necessity. As in, wow, things really suck. I guess we're going to have to do something about it. That's kind of what makes us uh, human beings. Actually, this this is kind of the ethos of America too, right? We're Americans. We're going to handle it. We will find a way. And typically we do. It just seems like the people who are actually interested in, you know, finding a way to be entrepreneurial and stand up and and to forge solutions, um, that seems like a much smaller number than the people who are uh, choosing instead to sit on the curb and cry. Bring me milk and cookies. (laughs) My knee got skinned and I need help. Government, govern me harder, daddy, please. Let's uh, let's take a look at what Chloe Anagnos has to say. She says the pandemic and widespread imposition of lockdowns that forced thousands of businesses to shut their doors in 2020 had a serious impact on unemployment rates in America. And to those who found themselves out of a job, looking for alternative ways to make money became a priority. While many turned to social media, especially TikTok, to share their talents in hopes of gaining some financial backing, others chose to become entrepreneurs. And now they are reaping the benefits. But she asks, what drove so many Americans to entrepreneurship during hard times? Was it perhaps the encouragement triggered by the increased unemployment benefits? Or are Americans more prone to embracing the risk of launching new business ventures in uncertain times? Chloe Anagnos writes, early in the pandemic, 
states noticed a surge in business licenses, as the National Bureau of Economic Research study found. As a matter of fact, about 4.3 new business, 4.3 million new business applications were filed in 2020 alone. That's more than a million more in 2019. The idea that the pandemic has kind of restarted America's startup engine is a real thing, according to MIT economist Scott Stern, one of the authors of the NBER paper. Sometimes you need to turn off the car in order to turn it back on. Now, Chloe Anagno says some may argue that stimulus checks were giving many of the unemployed some sense of security that helped them to feel confident enough to start their own ventures. But she says it's just as likely, if not more so, that Americans who found themselves out of a job were simply not content with sitting at home waiting for their government check to arrive. That was the case with Andre Smith, a 26-year-old Long Island resident who started his own loungewear clothing brand, LoungeFit. Since its launch in August of 2020, Smith has made $35,000 in sales. Now, with his online presence growing and his how-to videos on launching a clothing brand becoming wildly popular, he believes his work has just begun. He told NBC News, honestly, it's been an absolute roller coaster ride, but I wouldn't change it for anything. Because to come from where I came from and to build something like this is a dream for a lot of people. Now, currently, there are many similar stories being covered in the news showing that the American dream is far from dead. Indeed, she says entrepreneurship during hard times is nothing new. Companies like CNN, Burger King, General Motors, even gig economy big players like Airbnb, Lyft, and Uber all started during challenging economic times. During the Panic of 1907, William C. Durant saw an opportunity to improve the automobile market by launching General Motors. As a holding company, it broke paradigms by embracing a series of independent automobile lines bound under the same Mater brand. 1953, Burger King opened its doors as Insta Burger King, when once again America found itself in a recession. Inspired by the McDonald brothers, Keith J. Kramer and his wife's uncle, Matthew Burns, purchased the rights to two pieces of equipment called Insta Machines, launching their new venture by marketing it as a completely new way to cook burgers. Needless to say, it worked. Fast forward to 1980, when price inflation in the U.S. was through the roof. Ted Turner and 300 other original employees invested millions into the cable news network, CNN, creating the first channel ever to provide 24-hour television news coverage. And finally, during the 2007-2009 financial crisis, Uber, Airbnb, and Lyft all started providing millions of under- and unemployed people with opportunities to use their own property to make ends meet. The business model became a trend, and soon enough, hundreds of similar employees, hundreds of similar companies, rather, started to provide millions of informal workers platforms in a variety of niches from food delivery to education. As she points out in 2020, America saw entrepreneurs opening businesses more than twice as much as they did prior to the pandemic. And while government support programs may have certainly provided some with financial stability as they planned their next steps, the remote technology available in 2020 gave the American entrepreneurial spirit the necessary tools to take off. It also gave women, and especially women of color, the chance to let their creativity run wild. According to Luke Perdue, 
Pardue, rather, an economist at payroll and benefits provider Gusto, 11% of new business owners in 2020 were black or African-American. In pre-pandemic times, the same demographic accounted for just 3% of all new business creation. Furthermore, 49%, or nearly half of them, were women. That's a 22% increase from previous years. So to Pardue, the research shows that many entrepreneurs start their own business out of economic necessity, which could explain the demographic change among entrepreneurs in the age of COVID. Pardue explained, women and people of color were those who bore the brunt of the recession last year. They were resilient and turned obstacles into opportunities. Now, Chloe Adagno says the government's failures regarding their approach to COVID containment may have caused great suffering, but it didn't kill the spirit of innovation that still makes America so special. Thanks to this entrepreneurial passion, we will continue to see great new ventures coming out of America come rain or shine. I think I can attest to this. This is true. Necessity forces us to take the step that, uh, man, I've been scared to take this, but here we go. Been there myself. And if you haven't considered doing something, even if it's on a very small scale, to create a little mini factory at home, is there some little niche that you can work within to create value for others? Maybe now's the time to do so. I mean, I know there's going to be a certain segment of the population that's content to sit back and and wring their hands and wait for a check with their name on it to arrive from government. I'm guessing you're probably not one of those people, though. So use your imagination. Talk with like-minded friends. You might just be surprised at some of the different creative ways you can come up with to create that value and to launch your own business. I with with the mandates and especially you know what was it the the fifth district uh, court of appeals was that it anyway there was a court that struck down the the Biden mandates at least put it put a stay on it for now saying hold on we have some grave constitutional concerns what does the Biden administration do they direct businesses go ahead and implement them anyway while we get this sorted out that my friend is some pretty serious banana republic stuff going on right under our noses. Maybe now is a good time to start developing the ability to be self-employed with multiple sources of income. Because I'm thinking this may be where safety is found. This is The Brian Hyde Show.